You're listening to Under the Shell Podcast, the best in America. Welcome to Under the Shell, presented by Testudo Times. I'm Brennan Weissel. Sam Jane. Michael Howes. This week, we are joined by Sam Sire, the most recent member of the Maryland Women's Volleyball Thousand Kills Club. Take it away. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Um, so when you when you kind of look back, um, you know, I guess when you started, when you came to Maryland, did you ever think you would get to a thousand career kills? Um, no, I actually that never really kind of hit my mind. Um, I knew coming in that we were rebuilding this program, um, but I really never really knew that like a thousand kills was a big thing in college. If I'm being honest, until uh, someone, one of the coaches, was like, "Hey, you're kind of cooping up on that one thousand kill mark," and I'm like, "Oh, like." I wasn't even keeping track, so uh, it wasn't on my mind. It was just more so rebuilding this program, and obviously we've really gotten better. So I mean, here I am now, lucky to get a thousand kills. You mentioned kind of the the rebuilding process. Um, you know, what was kind of the pitch for you to, to come to Maryland, and how did they recruit you here? Um, well, when I was being recruited, I really wanted to go Big Ten, uh, but I, I didn't want to go somewhere that was already big. I kind of wanted to go somewhere where. Maybe they were a little bit on the bottom, and I wanted to be a part of that uh, process where our name kind of became getting known. Um, and so at the time, I committed under a different head coach, but when Yunes joined, it was that same message. He was like, hey, I want you to be a part of it. Um, you sit in Merrill Ricks. And so that was just kind of a big thing for me. And then it's not too far from home. I'm about six hours. It's a quick plane ride. So kind of all just matched up. Um, and just being close to DC also is a plus, so. You bring up uh, Adam Hughes kind of coming in here. Uh, what's your experience with him as a coach? Um, how, what does he do best as a coach? How does he motivate you guys? Um, well, he's a lot different than the coaches I've had in club. Um, in club, they were more so kind of all up on you and really pushing you. Um, and with Hughes, he goes about it a different way. He does push you, but he lets you figure out kind of your process. He's not always there. You're, he's not much of a yeller. Um, which I think some people are like, that doesn't get, you don't get some treatment for that, from that, but there's a lot of responsibility on us. And if you want, if you want to reach out to him and watch film or, and look at other coaches, like they're open to do that. But I think he's just best at letting us kind of rock when we're doing well. And then if we're struggling in our hotel or something, he'll help us out. So um, I think just leaving it, leaving the process on, us as individuals and how we can help each other. You came into the program kind of when things weren't going so good and, and you kind of stuck it out after playing at a very competitive club and high school team. How hard was it for you to adjust in terms of, you know, going from a very winning ways to then kind of coming here where the Big Ten's a tough conference and obviously Maryland has struggled in the past. Um, what was that adjustment like for you? It's, I could think it was terrible um, just because I knew, like I said before, I knew what I was getting into and that it was you know, a lot of hard work. Um, and so just coming here, everybody, you just, you're like, hey, right now we're not where we want to be. And I think I'm doing a lot of the same things I was doing in Butter High School. And I've learned a lot as well. I mean, tempo here is a lot faster than high school if we're talking literal volleyball. Um, but as far as like the vibes, everyone's attitudes, I think it was just very positive from the start. And that's when I felt this grown so much to where we are now. You've kind of over the years um, at your career at Maryland, you know, each season played a bit more and also improved a bit more. Um, can you just kind of talk about the the path and kind of steps you took to, you know, each season kind of taking a bigger role on the team? Yeah, um, 
obviously freshman year. Um, I didn't play as much, uh, which I expected. Um, but what I did was I just took a lot of time with views um, and watched a lot of film. I said, hey, what can I get better at? What am I doing well at right now? And my those things were serve receive. I was the best passer. Um, in club, you know, I, I might have been a decent passer, but when you get to college, it's a lot faster and it's a lot more slow on the balls. They need a lot on you. And so service was one of those things. And so I worked on it a lot. I worked on my eye work with Becca and just different movements. Um, and then a lot of my things in the weight room when I was a freshman, I was just like a stick. Everybody was like, you're a stick, sound like, on. Oh. And then even just looking at me now, like, I've been sort of saying someone's structure, but like I have a lot of muscles. So kudos to Greg and the one who's helping us in the weight room. You all are three and one at home so far this year. Um, and you guys have talked about in post-game press conferences, the, the effect, the crowd effect of playing in the pavilion. Can you kind of describe that for us? Oh, I feel like you just have to be there to experience it. Um, you know, there, everyone wants to be and have the arena where there's tons of, they're just so far from, you know, um, it's pretty, pretty much I get a lot of pressure on I me mean, from the student section. Um, for us, it would be the band. The band is kind of in everybody's, in everybody's ear. So it's really electric. And especially when, you know, we had our Wisconsin game, um, a lot of people who were at the softball game were like, we could hear you guys from outside. And so everyone just, just so supportive and screaming and we're helping us trying to get us to that win. And so. I think a lot of it you have to do a bit to experience, but like we are so grateful for everybody that comes out in the band that's just tripping our team's ear, helping us out. So um, it's really amazing how spirits to be a part of. In terms of um, you know, college women's volleyball atmospheres, do you wish you'd been playing uh Nebraska? Um that talking about pressure, that is just such crazy thing. I do wish I did play in that game. Uh just because we just made history, I wanted to be a that's cool thing, especially for women's sport. Um, and I, I wonder what it was like for them. I mean, was it was it tough knowing that there's a ton of people, or was it not because they were so far away? So um, it would be super cool. Uh, hopefully, maybe one day we'll be able to play in our football field. What would you say the most like intensive crowd has been for you at a game? Like, which any memories from that? most intense they have been has been that Wisconsin game just because that was a few years into their brain kind of everybody saw that we were 13 oh but they thought oh they didn't have played much competition and you know, they're probably gonna get rushed and then for us to come out and that big tiny season opener at home and beat the number two team I mean everybody went crazy and she had a lot of students there um yeah I mean yeah sometimes when you have a lot of people there cheering for you it also was kind of a lot of pressure um obviously to perform well and do your job but i think that atmosphere has been the best that there has been since that been and then you kind of talked about some of the some of the mental side of it um when you're playing in the big 10 you're playing against so many ranked opponents and you kind of come in as the underdog is that something the team kind of talks about like we have a big chance to you know make a name for ourselves or kind of not shock the world but you know m make a big statement against a you know many ranked teams on consecutive days because of the Big Ten schedule? Yeah. Um, I think that was the message about my freshman and sophomore year. And now I think we know that we're able to kind of be at the top or in the middle of the Big Ten so that we can play with anybody. Senior I was bad, so I how to stay after you. Um, it's obvious that, you know, we're obviously good enough. Um, and so now it's like, hey, we have 
Nebraska coming up, or we have Rutgers coming up. We take the things same way. We don't say, oh, this might not be as good. We should roll over them, or we shouldn't say, oh, we're going to get crushed. Every game, we're just like, we're going to win. We're going, we're expecting to win. And that's what we're going to go out and try to do. So I think uh, my early years here, it originally was, let's make our name known. And now that we have our name known, it's kind of like, let's make our normal thing. Kind of a non-volleyball question here, but I was researching earlier and I saw that you want to work with kids who have cancer. Kind of how did you become interested in that as a career? Yeah, so um, both my mom and dad are in the medical field. So my dad is a firefighter and my mom is a nurse. So I kind of am sure I know maybe I want to do it. I'm not sure. Um, and then I, and when I was 15 years old, one of my best friends uh, passed away from cancer. So kind of just seeing that process on what she went through, the sacrifices she had to make, and kind of the impact it had on me really sparked that, like, okay, I want to do it. Um, and so, it's, I mean, I really got like, a tattoo for it. Like, I have, I've done a lot of things this past spring. Um, I hosted an event on campus with an organization called Get a Match. And basically, we just try to go around campus and students would have to like uh, swab inside their mouth and then get into a registry where. They would see if they are a blood match or a bone marrow match for a kid with cancer. It's a same dollar. And I think about last week, I got a call that she was a match. Um, but the, the kid that she matched for wasn't sure if she wanted to do it yet. Um, so I'm still waiting to hear about that. But that's kind of how that interest grew. It's just kind of how I grew up and experiences I went through. Um, that's like me to kind of be where I am now. Uh, you, you just mentioned that one program. Do you have any others um, that are coming up maybe this year you'd like to talk about? I'm um, I don't have any other organization, but I am thinking about possibly doing another event with that same organization be the match. Um, they are doing things in fall, but just with how volleyball is right now, like there's just no time. They obviously know that. So I'm trying to figure out something within the spring. I want to make it a little bit different just so we're not doing the same thing. Um, but hopefully it's fingers crossed in the works. I was reading that you're, uh, you're sponsored by Zin, Zin Drink. So um, kind of what have these NIL opportunities been for you uh, playing for like a non-revenue sport? It has been so cool just to experience all these different kinds of things. The Zen drink, um, I have done an interview with Shime where I would just talk to high school teams and they'd ask them about questions um, about volleyball, about injuries because I'm type of you and um I had a book injury before I even got here in college. So I didn't you know a lot of people ask that. Um I do private lessons with our since I think she's thirteen or fourteen or I don't remember where I've been doing private lessons with her. So being able to kind of just spread my I mean, like be able to partner with someone like Zoom drink is like, yes, I I get free drinks, but like also kind of but their name out there is super cool. And it's obviously a plus getting paid for it. I mean, and I know the football players or basketball players might be getting a lot of other deals for bigger brands. But for me, it's just like, what can I do? I feel like volleyball still is not as talked about as it should be. And so I'm trying to kind of get the word out, trying to help other kids get better, um, just do what I can. And so it's a really cool experience just learning how to navigate through the NRL way. And I really, it's been successful. Uh, so to wrap up the show, we um, do a segment with everybody we bring on where we just uh, rapid fire questions and first thing that comes to your mind. So uh, okay. do you have a favorite point that you've played at Maryland? 
notes. Uh, well, I'm gonna think about the most recent favorite one that I've had is actually just against Michigan. Um, that I never hit with my left hand, but uh, there was a, a crazy play, and I kind of just hit the ball over with my left hand. Let me weird, but it went over and scored. So that was like my my most memories that at least. I feel like there has to be a reasoning behind this, but um, why number forty-four? Um, well, my dad, he didn't beat him fighting college, but in high school, and number was forty-four. Um, my brother played college basketball for a year or two. His number was forty-four. It kind of just fell in the family. Yeah, it was just in the family. Uh, my mom I didn't even know if she wore it. Actually, I think it was worn by dad and my brother. I was just like, well. I'm going to bring a tradition, and it's actually funny because Eva, one of our freshmen here, uh, wanted boarding score, and they were like, sorry, take it. Um, do you have a, a favorite fan interaction? Uh, I just love when I come out of, of the locker room and, like, it's high school team or the little girls just kind of, we so cool. Like, we just get a picture. I love when I ask for pictures or pick my own favorite things. Um, Especially at camp, too. I also give away, like, just for free, just shirts I don't wear anymore. And seeing a smile on their face, she's just so cute. So I love doing Uh And then I think you mentioned it, but team goal for this uh, for this year. Um, I I mean, obviously, our goal is to make the tournament. But I think right now, it's just about being consistent and continuing playing our game, no matter who is across the net. Um, I think we've done a great job so far with it. Um, but obviously, everyone's kind of goal is to make the tournament at some point. Well, thank you, Sam, for joining the show. We really appreciate it, and good luck against Rutgers. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. We heard from Sam. Maryland had a, uh, a good weekend here coming out, and Sire continues to dominate on the volleyball court. The Terps are looking to continue their winning ways, as just as the Maryland football team is. Guys, another win, another week, another win for the for the Maryland football team, defeating Michigan State on the road in East Lansing, first road game of the year. Mike, what did you see out of the Terps this weekend? They did what they had to do. They went into a conference matchup away, and they, they won the game. One thing I will say, though, is had a great start to the game, opened up scoring 21 points in the first quarter. Kind of slowed down a little bit after that. Didn't score another touchdown until three minutes left in the fourth. If you're a Maryland fan and you're on the Maryland coaching staff, you kind of got to hope that this Terps team can stay explosive the whole game and not just kind of cut off after a strong start. But considering the starts that they had the past two games, that's pretty good to see. Maybe I'm buying too much of what Coach Loxley is selling. We had Johnny Holiday on. We went to Terp Talk, so I got to hear Loxley talk a lot. It's hard to win games on the road in the Big Ten. And I think for a, a team like Maryland, who's historically struggled in the Big Ten on the road, that, that game gives Maryland fans a ton of faith that they can maybe pull off one of the upsets that they've been trying to pull off for so many years now. So I don't know. I just think overall that game, um, coming out of the gate strong and just having a pretty solid defensive performance throughout the whole game, I think was a very strong performance uh we saw from maryland we saw how dominant they were against the spartans we know that they're probably the fourth best team in the big 10 east at least currently um trailing ohio state michigan and penn state my question to you though is are the terps the fourth best team in the big 10 the west is obviously not as strong as the east with teams like minnesota losing to northwestern this weekend wisconsin already has a loss iowa got demolished by penn state 
The West is not a very strong division. So my question to you is, if the Terps are playing in the Big Ten West, would they be in Indianapolis at the end of the season representing the Big Ten, the Big Ten title game? By far. I mean, first of all, they have the best quarterback in the Big Ten. So that's the first thing you got to look at, the most important position on the field. And then they're also one of four teams that are 4-0. and Like, I don't know. It seems like a pretty obvious question to me. Brendan, what do you think? I think that Maryland would be playing in the Big Ten tournament, but I think they wouldn't do it in such a dominant fashion. I think that the other teams on Maryland's side of the conference aren't that strong. So it's hard to say, I think, you know, having to play teams we don't have to play this year. If, if, if Maryland had if Maryland had to play Wisconsin and had to play Purdue, I, I think it may look a little bit different than it's going to look this year for the Maryland's record in the Big Ten. It is difficult, though, when, you know, the top four teams of the conference are all on the same side. Yeah, and I think I would agree with Brendan on that. I don't think that Maryland would coast to a Big Ten West title, but I do think, at least as it stands right now, they definitely do look like the strongest team. Uh, but the East does have some cupcakes. It's a very top-heavy division. And one of those cupcakes will be traveling to College Park this weekend. Indiana, who has struggled mightily this season, played in a triple overtime game, I believe, against Akron this weekend. Um, very interesting matchup there. And the the Hoosiers are, are coming into this one as 14-point underdogs. But interestingly, guys, Bill Connolly's ESPN's S&P, which is a computer predictive model that's been around for a while, this is the biggest differentiator of the week between Vegas odds and ESPN odds, like the S&P odds. He has Maryland as a 21-point home favorite. Guys, what do you look at this one? Uh, Maryland should win, but what are you looking before the pivotal Week 6 matchup against Ohio State? You've got to hope that they just continue to do the job like they did against Michigan State. They don't need to overcomplicate things. Just do the job, play strong defense, play good offense. Do not go down 14 points in the first quarter. And you get the job done. However, I do know that there is a family weekend curse going around the uh, football program in recent years. Brendan, do you want to touch on what's going on? I, I'd love to talk Parents about this. Parents are bringing unfortunate <laughs> luck. <laughs> uh, Maryland is two and six all time on family weekend in the Big Ten. And if you know anything about records, not good. The thing you got to think about, though, is they had their best chance to do it last year. I mean, they, they'd won for their games, but their best chance recently to get a win, um, haven't won on family weekend since 2018 game. They probably should have won last year against Purdue. And I think this is the year that they uh, they start winning on, on family weekend. So as we kind of look at how this team has continued to play, guys, we continue to see the emergence of the offensive side of the ball and the emergence of Colby McDonald, um, I think will play a big part in this game. He's kind of been a home run threat. Roman Hemby was dinged up, according to Loxley last week, 12 yards on 10 carries. Woof. Um, so you got to hope that McDonald and Littleton can continue to shoulder the load, but I think they should coast to a pretty easy victory, um, and they'll move to 5-0 and before a, a big-time matchup against Ohio State that we'll, we'll talk about next week. Absolutely. Um, but the Terps are looking strong in Big Ten play, and, and they're outseeding program expectations, which is opposite of another Big Ten um, stalwart program around College Park, the men's soccer team. Guys, I don't know what is going on with Sasha's squad, but they have lost two conference games and have no wins so far. Brennan, what have you seen from this team? Why are they struggling? Well said, Sam. Uh, another tough loss going back this weekend against Wisconsin, had a chance at a penalty kick. Max Riley hadn't taken a penalty kick all year, missed it, was the third one that they'd missed all year. 
a one nothing loss in the game. We have a penalty kick. It's something that really shouldn't happen. Another game where playing very conservatively and just not generating enough chances. Just overall this year, the offense for Maryland just hasn't been able to produce enough goals where last year a lot of the threats were... They, they lost a lot of the threats um, to pro soccer leagues, and so it's been tough for them. Looking ahead, like you said, Sam, Maryland, three games in the Big Ten, no wins. The last time Maryland did that, however, they still made the NCAA tournament. There is still some hope for men's soccer, but it's not looking great. Yeah, I think that the just to close on the men's team, I think that you know, it's just been a really struggle in terms of the offensive and offensive side of the ball. I mean, they really just get anything going there. Um, and it's just been a slog fest in terms of how they play, which isn't usually how Sasha's teams perform. So you got to hope that eventually the, the gel will come and, and that's what they keep preaching. But at some point you have to win soccer games, you know, like you can't keep saying, oh, it'll come, it'll come. Like, you're going to dig yourself too deep of a hole if you're Maryland, so they really have to work on that. But the women's soccer team, guys, I'm not going to lie, I, I've been really impressed by Megan Ryan Nemser's team. Um, lost 1-0 to zero to Ohio State, but if you paid attention last year, you know that's a lot better um, than when they lost 7-0 to zero to the Buckeyes. Um, I think a key key change was moving Kennedy Bell, star freshman, definitely you know one of the team's top players. They moved her to the mids, uh, midfielder area. Um, kind of that section where she can kind of play both ends a little more than her prior defensive side. And I think that generated a lot better chances and kind of allowed her to control the ball more. Um, when I was watching the game, she definitely was touching it more, which is what you want out of your best players. And then they also switched switched up some more lineups, you know, moved a midfielder to the back line, brought in Ava Morales earlier. I thought that it was a good game plan by Nemser. Um, and it didn't result in a win, but I think that, you know, that's one of the one of the better better moves that they could make and, and they'll get to put it to the test this week against Michigan State um, who's one of the one of the top teams um, in the country they're not ranked but they continue to be you know a stalwart in the Big Ten play Mike as we kind of move forward in the season you know the women's soccer team continues to outpour, outperform expectations do you expect that to continue or, or do you kind of see this as maybe early season not fluke but early season momentum wave that that eventually will fizzle out I'm not trying to hate, but I do think that this might be just some early momentum. And as we start to move into like deeper conference play, some of those tougher Big Ten opponents, I think you might start to see a little more losses coming. But not to say this has been very encouraging from Coach Megan Ryan Nemser's squad. Like to see this type of improvement year two, especially after they had a tough year last year, it's very promising. Yeah. The one thing you got to look at is nothing kills momentum. Like, going into a game against a strong Big Ten team, staying tied with them for 89 minutes and then letting up a goal with 52 seconds to go like they did against Ohio State on Sunday. So big rebound against Michigan State, but that's just something that absolutely kills Maryland's momentum moving forward in Big Ten play. Yeah, I mean, I think that, Brendan, you're absolutely right. It, it was a great game, but you really, in terms of taking that, they've taken, it seems like they've taken the step to becoming a competent Big Ten program that, you know, they're going to be able to hang around. But then to get to the step to where you're actually beating teams, you have to be able to close the deal. And, and they didn't do that, even for a draw. Um, so it will be interesting to see what they do here on their Michigan trip. Um, but they are definitely better than last year, which is the subject of our next next team. Mike, you know field hockey? You know last year's team. You know this year's team. That's why I'm gonna we're gonna go through a little segment here called 23 or 22. 
And when it comes to Missy Mahark's squad, I'm going to ask you certain questions about this year's team, and we're, you're going to judge which team you think fits better into the category um, that I lay out. So are you ready? All right, let's go, Sam. All right, Mike. So the first question I have for you is, which team has had a more challenging non-conference schedule, 2022 or 2023? More challenging the non-conference schedule. I'll say this. The 23 team has lost more in their non-conference play, so I'm going to take 23. Which team so far has had the more dominant offensive performances from its stars? This year, it's, you know, Hope Rose has really been, been stellar. Last year, they spread it around more. But who is this? Which offense has been more elite early on? I would say the 22 squad. I mean, you had a bunch of graduate players on that team, had a lot of experience, were able to attack defenses. And of course, you brought up Hope Rose, elite goal scorer. I, I mean, Hope Rose has just been off to a scorching start to the year, and, and she continues to play extremely well. And, you know, that's the one of the subjects of my next question. Which team has a better chance of having more than one Big, more than one All-American at the end of the year, 2022 or 23? Probably 22. I'm not going to lie. Probably 22. So you think that this is a Hope Rose pretty much? It might just be recognition. It might just be Hope Rose and that's it. Which team is performing better in goal, 2022 or 23? I'm going to say 23 just because in 22 – they, they, they're still using two goaltenders like they did last year. But I feel like this year, instead of, because they switched between uh, Christina Calandra and Paige Keith a lot, Paige Keith is the main goalkeeper for this team. They've had Alyssa Klobosko come in a couple times, but in reality, it's just Paige Keith. It's consistent play. Yeah, I mean, they, they've been really solid on defense so far this year. I think that they're allowing exactly one goal per game which is you know obviously a stellar stellar spot in goal um, and they continue to kind of have that strong tradition of goalkeeping no matter which uh, which person is in the net last question I have for you Mike which team is more equipped to beat the reigning Big Ten champs Northwestern now this seems like an easy question but it's basically asking is the 23 team prepared to, for a Big Ten title more so than the last year's team was I want to take the 23 team only because they have some people coming back from last year's squad who are going to be looking for revenge. I lost to Northwestern in the Big Ten tournament as well as in the Final Four last year. Well, Mike, that was our addition of 22-23. Missy Maharg's team, it sounds like, is pretty on par with last year's squad, potentially even better. I think a little bit more spread out is kind of a by collect. Uh, by collective approach is what they took last year, and this year they're really relying on, on Hope Rose, obviously, to kind of be that star and then, you know, bringing that veteran experience along. Uh, but they have a critical stretch here coming up. If you want to quickly take us take our listeners through um, what the Terps are looking at. Right, so now we're entering the tough stretch of the season. We are entering into conference play. So on Thursday, they are facing number seven Rutgers, and then they're facing number 16 Penn State on Sunday. This is critical because every single win at this point matters because then it factors into your Big Ten playoff seeding. And, of course, you do not want to be a lower-seeded team and have to face somebody like Iowa early on, who's the number one ranked team in the country right now. And the field hockey team is always in a strong conference for the Big Ten. We know about Northwestern. Iowa's taking a huge step this year, and, and they'll continue to be good. Um, but that wraps up our Maharg. They have a huge week coming up, and they're not the only College Park team. We've said it 
earlier at the episode, but the volleyball team is playing in a gauntlet of a conference. We know it. Brendan, they managed to pull a W off against Michigan, though, and a good win for Adam Hughes' team. What did you see from the squad, and, and what are we looking at here um, as as the, the Terps schedule kind of gets into the meat of conference play? Yeah, it was great to have Sam Sire on earlier to talk through her career as a Maryland volleyball player. Looking ahead, Maryland is going is traveling to face off against Rutgers today. Um, this comes out on Wednesday, and I would expect Maryland to get a win um, overall, but a bit a better team than them. Um, looking back, took a set against Purdue, and Adam Hughes, you know, thought the team was going to push it to five sets. It was close in that fourth set, and they nearly had it. So Maryland taking sets against some of these ranked teams means I think we're going to see what we saw last year, which is Maryland's going to upset at least one ranked team, maybe two or three ranked teams throughout Big Ten play. And I I, I do have confidence that this team is is going to step up, um, leaning on Sam Sire as their their number one. And uh, I don't know. Well, I think it'll be it'll be exciting to see what this team can do against the ranked teams in the Big Ten uh, coming up. And the best way to continue that is to get a win against Rutgers. Yeah, and as we head into the thick of Big Ten season, Adam Hughes' team is obviously um, going to look to continue their strong Big Ten play, and and they're kind of rising in the top of the standings, just like yours truly is rising in our pick standings. Mike, tell the listeners what they all want to hear. Your boy's back on top where he belongs. So Sam Jane, he had a great three and zero week. So we yeah. are now. Brendan, he's he's still at the bottom of the leaderboard, but me and Sam we're at the top he's right now, tied. So I guess, Sam, after your great weekend, would you like to kick off the picks for this upcoming weekend? I'd like nothing more, Mike. Um, We're going to start with the team that we talk about all the time, the Terps. I like Maryland to cover against Indiana. We talked about um, the S&P spread compared to the normal spread, so I like Maryland to cover. Um, Then I'm going to go opposite of Brendan's picks. We got a little head-to-head pick action. I'm going to take Kansas plus 17 against Texas. He's shaking his head, but his picks have been terrible, so you should always tail Brendan myself. Finally, I have Colorado minus 23. I think the books are overreacting a little bit to the Oregon loss. USC's offensive and defensive lines are not as good as Oregon's. I actually think Oregon might be a better team than the Trojans, so I like Colorado to cover minus 23. Those are my picks. All right, I guess I will go next. I got Kentucky minus two and a half versus Florida. Uh, Kentucky is currently three and one against the spread, while Florida is one and three. I really like those stats there, so I'm going to take that pick. Next up, South Carolina, the underdogs by 12 and a half points against Tennessee. Spencer Rattler and the Gamecocks last year put up 63 points in that blowout win against Tennessee. I would expect the same offensive performance from him. Probably not as explosive, but still had a great game last year. Should keep that up this year. And then lastly, I'm going to take Georgia, favored by 14.5 points at Auburn. Georgia's the best team in the country right now. They have the best defense. The best team that Auburn's played this year is Texas A&M, and they lost by 17 that game. So I really like Georgia only being favored by about two touchdowns. I'm the best team in college football to the worst picker on Under the Shell podcast. Uh, I will take Michigan minus 18 and a half against Nebraska. I like that pick. Nothing else to say. A good old Big Ten battle in the Midwest. Texas minus 17 against Kansas. I think Texas is going to just absolutely roll over Kansas. The hype is going to stop right there for Kansas. And then Fresno State, one of the best defensive teams in the country, minus 23. 
against Nevada, one of the worst teams in the entire country. You'll notice no UMass picks this week, but you know can't always pick UMass. You also can't always pick losing picks, but something that is not losing is our terrific Terp segment. Brendan Wiesel always delivers week after week, and Brendan, take it away. I had a different terrific Terp plan for this week, but um, to honor Mark Mandis, who passed away this past week, I thought I'd go with him tell his story. So here it is. There haven't been many athletes to step on the field in College Park and get recognized in the Heisman conversation, but Mark Mangus was one of them. Growing up in Cumberland, Maryland, he attended Ford Hill High School, where his athletic prowess and recognition started all the way back in middle school. Mangus was the type of athlete that no matter what he tried, he was going to excel. In 1969, the Fort Hill JV basketball team went down to Washington Middle School to, trim it, to scrimmage the team that Mangus was on. The JV team at Fort Hill got the victory, but not before Mangus scored 52 points. His same eighth grade year, there was discussion about which team Mangus would start on next year. Would he play JV or would he play varsity? But all those questions were answered when he punted a football further than the current varsity starter. He would go on to be the starting quarterback for all four years. In high school, Mangus was a two-sport All-American in basketball once and football twice. In football, he got a bit better every year. Freshman year, he won seven games. Sophomore year, he won eight. Junior year, he won nine. And senior year, finally went the perfect 10 and 0. His senior year in 1953, he got injured in football season. So in basketball season, he missed all but the final game of the year. But that didn't matter. Man just dropped 30 points against Thomas Johnson in the playoffs and guided the Sentinels to their most recent state championship appearance after a 12-4 season. If it had been up to lefty in College Park, Man just would have played basketball at Maryland as well, but he chose to focus on football. Following his successful junior year, at Maryland, the 6'3 man just entered his final year as a Heisman Trophy candidate and graced over the cover of Sports Illustrated. Through a broken hand hampered his final campaign, man just was honored as first team All-ACC, third-team All-American, and led the team to multiple top 10 rankings. He led it in all four years in College Park and was on three ACC championship teams as the Terps reeled off 21 consecutive conference wins to play in bowl games all four years. People around College Park still wonder what a senior season would have been like if he hadn't broken his hand and missed a few games. Managed with a fourth-round selection in the 1978 NFL Draft to the Los Angeles Rams, and he spent his lone NFL season with the St. Louis Cardinals, backing up pro quarterback Jim Hart. After his pro career, Manges also served as a color commentator on radio broadcasts back at Fort Hill or WTVO, and as a member of the stadium committee where he raised funds for scoreboard, new track, new sound system, and helped boost up the Fort Hill facilities. Manchester is the only player in his high school's history with his number tied in two sports, 45 football, 43 for basketball. This week's Trivic Terp is in honor of Mark Manchester. Rest in peace, Mark Manchester had a great career, was probably even better of a man. Um, and that is another episode of Under the Shell presented by Testudo Times. Great interview from Sam Sire, and we look forward to next week's episode with you guys. Guess what? You've got Under the Shell podcast. Nobody does it better.